Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, as we uh, kind of zoom toward Rosh Hashanah, there's a, there's a stop on the, the, the express train of life before we hit a new year. It's called uh, Elul, and that's where we're at. We just had the first Shabbos in Elul, and this year it's Parshas um, Shoftim. And I was just thinking just on a, on a, on a visual level, just a kind of, um, you know, so to speak, we're, we're entering into Elul. So that's kind of like entering into this, this edifice, this structure in, in, in time and space. And Shoftim, the first letter of Shoftim is the letter Shin. And you know, on every mezuzah, you have the letter Shin, which stands for Shakai, Shaddai, the, uh, one of the names of, of, of Hashem. And so here, as we're entering into Elul, so to speak, there's the shin on the mezuzah, Parsha Shovtim, as we enter into this, uh, into this makom, this, this, this place of time and preparation. And it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a place of, of, of love, you know. Um, what's, um, you know, I heard Rabbi Seidenfeld uh, talk about the, the progression of time leading up to Rosh Hashanah, and last month uh, was called Av. Av uh, uh, is, is, you know, a, a very interesting month, as you all know. It, it's got really the headquarters of all the sadness of the year, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. But at the same time, it, it's got one of the happiest days of the year, and the whole energy of the month shifts. And so it's got these two parts to it. But, but Av actually is not just the name of a month, it's a Hebrew word which means father. And so you have this kind of parental kind of, kind of, if you want to use the word discipline or whatever it is, this idea that, well, if, if we go off the path, then there's this authority figure, if you will, so to speak, putting us back on the right path. And that's not always the most comfortable thing. But, but remember, the, there are many paradigms in terms of understanding our relationship with God. One of them is, is a parent, um, which, which has the loving aspect to it, but also has the sort of the more structured aspect to it also, where it's sort of like, you know, I think we've all had the experience where, where our kids think that they know more than we do. And that's, you know, kind of tragic when they're eight and we're 50. You know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, well... You're just going to have to take my word for it, you know, and, and the kid is just like, but you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. You know, I was, I was telling my, uh, my, my 12-year-old uh, Mendy that when, when, when I was a little boy, I, I, I don't know how old I was, maybe five or six, I remember clearly, and my, my parents never forgot this, and I, I don't know if I did this on a repeated basis or it was just one time, but I sort of like stormed or marched very confidently into the kitchen and there was like a, a whole like dinner party going on of adults, right? And I just stood there waiting for them to turn their attention to me, which they weren't doing since they were very happily discussing whatever they were discussing among themselves. And then at a certain point, I, I, I raised my 10 fingers and I said, silence! <laughs> and it's sort of like, you know, so it's sort of like, there, unfortunately, this, this, this same dynamic is paralleled between us and God, where it's sort of like, we, we imagine that we know more than God, 
And we can't imagine that he doesn't see and see to our logic. And it's sort of like we, we're, we're, we're flabbergasted. Anyway, that's, that's the month of Av. Um, but then, before Rosh Hashanah, which of course is the time of judgment for the year, so it's a very you know, big, scary day in, in many ways, the next month is Elul. And the first letters of Elul stand for different things, but perhaps most famously, it's an acrostic for the words Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, which means I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. And here we see the paradigm shift from parent and child to two lovers. And so that's a much more intimate relationship. And interestingly, the, the mazel, the zodiac sign of the month of Elul is the basula, is the virgin. That, that parallels uh, virga, if you will. But this is our, our, our structure, our, our, our tradition. And so, again, there's a sign of um, intimacy and, 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 and the new beginnings that are possible for, for the new year that's coming, the new light that's coming down uh, in the new year. So, so really the landscape sort of changes and everything um, becomes closer. And Hashem is reassuring us that, that as the judgment comes, that it's coming from the one who loves us the most. And that's a, that's a very important thing to, to keep in mind. And so, so with these things in mind... Uh, we're, we're, we're supposed to be looking at our lives and trying to figure out, like, how can we do even better? You know, because we never want to um, stay in one place. We always want to be improving. And since our soul is a little piece of Hashem, and since Hashem is infinite, that means that the levels that we can reach during our lifetime are also infinite, because our souls have this aspect of infinity. And so we never want to stop climbing. And the idea of, of uh, you know, I finally got it right, that, that concept in itself should be abhorrent, Me- meaning to say that, that it's, it's not a Jewish idea. In other words, one should constantly be striving because one is by nature infinite. So, so to, to, to not accept that, is to somehow give up or to settle. Now, just, I can't say that thought without telling you that that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, that therefore one should constantly beat themselves up that they're not, you know, doing better, right? Because you don't, you don't do better by beating yourself up. But it is to realistically appreciate the, the, um, the fact that there is no ceiling on the heights that we can reach. So, so again, how to get yourself to that place of constantly being engaged and positively motivated, that's often an individual thing. You have to know what words to say to yourself, how to, how to speak to yourself. That's, that's, that's very important. But, 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 um, but to constantly strive is the, is the bottom line there. So with that in mind, I want to talk about goodness and, and phrase, just suggest a question. And I heard this actually from my brother-in-law. He, he was learning it from Rav Moshe Feinstein. Um, and Rav Moshe uh, asked this question. And if you think about it, it's, it's actually, you don't even have to think about it. It's, it's just a great question. And I, I want to offer uh, an answer to it. So, so anyway, after we say Shema Yisrael, and we talk about the oneness of God, um, in the Torah, it goes into this, 
into the via hafta. And via hafta means that, um, that you should love God. And, and, and it says, via hafta, es Hashem uh, Elokecha Becholavavcha. You should love God with all of your heart. And you see that throughout the Torah, by the way. Um, Hashem says that I want you to love me with all of your heart. And, 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 and in other places it says, I'm testing you to see if you love me with all of your heart. Right? Very interestingly, when it talks about God sending a false prophet, that God himself says, I'm going to send you a false prophet to test you to see if you're really going to listen to me. And of course, the definition of a false prophet is anyone who tells you that not to do the mitzvahs or who tries to change the mitzvahs. That's the definition of a false prophet. And God says in the Torah, I'm going to send you one or more than one. Okay, so, so that's, that's, it doesn't get discussed that often, but I think that's a, a fairly important uh, part of the Torah. Anyway, that aside, in that, in that, in that uh, warning, again, God says to see, why am I going to do this? To test you, to see if you love me with all of your heart. So what does it mean? And it's in many places in the Torah. What does it mean to love God with all of your heart? So here's perhaps the primary command um, to love God with all of your heart. And the rabbis famously point to an irregularity or a, a hint that the Torah is giving us about how to approach this question. Because the word for a heart is lev. Um, that's lamed uh, vez. And, you know, famously, the Torah ends with the letter lamed and begins with the letter bez. Right? The lamed of Yisrael, that's the last letter of Israel. Le'ene ko Yisrael, before the eyes of all of Israel. That's how the Torah ends. So it ends with the letter Lamed. It begins with the base of Breshi. And then as soon as you finish the Torah, you begin the Torah right away again. That's what we do in Simchas Torah. So in other words, when you link that Lamed to the vase, it, it spells the word Lev, which means heart. And so you see very beautifully the circulatory system. Because what does the heart do? The heart is pumping blood throughout the body. And then as soon as it makes a, a circle... It pumps it through the body again. And so, so you see that <clears throat> cardiac <laughs> structure, or perhaps our heart itself, is, is mirroring the cardiac structure of the Torah itself, more, more pointedly. But nonetheless, the point is, is that it's spelled with one letter vase. Lave is spelled with one, one vase, not, not two. And yet, if you look at this... Uh, this verse in the Torah, it says, V'yahavta es Hashem Elohecha b'chol and it's spelled with two letter vases. So what are these two? What are these two? It, it suggests that it's in the plural, with all of your hearts, is, is actually the technical translation, the literal translation. So, so the rabbis pick up on that. It says you should love God, and this again is the commandment to love God, to love God with all of your hearts, in the plural. And so the rabbis explain that that's very intentional, and that it means that you should love God with your negative inclination, meaning to say that if there are things that we're supposed to do, that we don't want to do, 
that we should do them, right? That's, that means loving God with your negative inclination. But here's the point of the whole question. And you should love God with your positive inclination. You're being commanded to love God with your positive inclination. So here's the question that Rav Moshe asks. How do you, how do you, if you're already doing it, what does it mean that you're commanded if you're already doing it? In other words, my positive inclination isn't the problem. The problem is the Eight Sahara. That's, that's the problem. The positive inclination, by definition, is already doing what it's supposed to be doing. So what does it mean to love God with that I'm being commanded to love God with my positive inclination if my positive inclination is already serving God completely, by definition? Because if it weren't, then it would be part of my negative inclination. It doesn't mean that my positive inclination <clears throat> has to be very large. It could be very small. But by definition, whatever the size of it is, it's doing it 100%. So you hear the question. So, so what does it mean that God is commanding you to do the right thing when you're already doing the right thing? So, so I'd like to suggest uh, my answer to this, but I think that uh, Rav Moshe uh, touches on this as well. I didn't see it inside, so I, I don't want to say this in his name since I didn't see it, but, but um, nonetheless, so I, I want to suggest uh, something. And, and this, what I'm about to tell you, I, in my opinion, is very deep. And what I mean by that is that it's not, it's not that you have to be a genius to understand it, what I mean by that is that, is that there's a secret here um, in terms of really serving God, in terms of deepening your, your avodas Hashem, your service of God. And so I, I, I hope that you'll really hear this point because it, 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 to, to understand what I'm about to tell you is to sort of like sharpen your, your focus and to really kind of reorder your relationship with God in a very fundamental way, okay? So, so hear the point, please. And let me introduce it with this one idea. Um, it says, the rabbis say that there are people who refer to themselves as servants of God, but they're not really servants of God. And remember, to be a servant of God is really, in the Torah's uh, framework, the, the ultimate praise and the proof of that is the fact that, um, that, that when, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moses died, or was Nifter, went on, you know, God eulogizes him with two words. Only two words. He said he was an Eved Hashem, which means he was a servant of God. So if Hashem boiled down the entire eulogy for Moshe, to two words that he was a servant of God, then you know that this is considered the highest, highest, highest place you can be. Okay? So, with that in mind, let's rephrase the question and then we're going to get some answers. Why, does, why are we commanded to love God with all of our hearts? We understand with the negative inclination, because that's the side of us that's not doing it or doesn't want to do it. But why are we being commanded on the side that does want to do it and is already doing it? Okay? And now I want to introduce an idea. And this idea is, what I would suggest is, here's the, here's the question. 
When is morality another form of narcissism? Okay, I'll say that again. When is morality another form of narcissism? So narcissism, I'm sure you know what it means, but just in case, it's a big word. So it comes, it comes after the word uh, narcissist, who was a, uh, I guess he was a Greek, a great-looking Greek, <laughs> really handsome. And he was famous for looking in the water so that he could admire his own reflection. <laughs> and so the idea of one just sort of like lovingly gazing at oneself and one's own activities became known as narcissism after his activities, right? So, so getting to a deeper place right now, there, there are times when people do the right thing. And you say, well, why, do you, why are you doing the right thing, right? Why are you going out of your way to do the right thing? And you'd be surprised at some of the answers that you'll get. And I'm talking about even among religious people who just haven't even thought deeply about this, okay? But in the populace at large. What, you know, you just, you just made this amazing fundraising event. I saw you spent dozens of hours on this. You went incredibly out of your way. I mean, real what we call Messiris Nefesh, you really put yourself out there to do this. I'm amazed. Why did you do this? Because I'm a nice guy. That's why you did it? Yeah. I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. You, you, you just said, wow, you just did that incredible thing for that person. Why? I'm a good guy. That's why you did it? Yeah, I'm a good guy. See, that's, this is very interesting. Very, very interesting. See, I'm not, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, therefore, the enormous effort that they did doesn't count. God forbid. It was, of course it counts. It was great. But the question is, why did they do it? Why did they do it? And what is this idea of morality sometimes being akin to narcissism? What, 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 is, what is that? Because sometimes someone will do something as a reflection of their own goodness as opposed to the fact that God commanded them to do it. See, now this is, this is, this is what it means then, I'd like to suggest. What it means when God tells you, commands you, that's the key thing. Commands you, commands us to love God with all of our hearts, including our positive inclination. So that the good things that we're doing, we're doing not just because I want to do them, because I think that they're right. It's taking the, it's, it's reversing the whole seat of authority from myself I did it because I want to do it, therefore implied I am the seat of authority. And turning it back down that even the good things that I'm doing, God, I'm doing them because you're commanding me to do them. 
Now that's already when a person begins to make this transition to being an Eved Hashem, a servant of God. Because then it's sort of like, you know what? God, it's 50-50. You know what? Like, you'll, I'll, I'll do some of the things you want to do, and I'm going to do the rest of the things that I want to do. Now, that's okay, because we're imperfect. And during our whole lives, we'll ever, ever, ever trying to get it more and more right. So I'm not talking about making mistakes necessarily. What I am talking about is the idea that, okay, God, you're commanding some of the things, and I'm commanding the rest of the things. And that's, that's, a, that's like a little psychological shift, a little adjustment that a person has to make. And you'll be amazed how that will give you wings. It'll give you wings to fly. Because when you realize, when you let go, and you say, I'm doing this. Now, now remember, I'm doing this because you commanded me to do it. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's a, a, transfor- a transformative effect on your relationship with God, where it's sort of like, God, you're calling all of the shots. And that's, that, that's a very liberating, that's a very liberating thought. And, um, and, and I just want to flesh it out just a little bit more. But that's, that's the basic idea, okay? If you got that, you got the basic idea. But let me just flesh it out a little bit more. In terms of all of our service, all of our heavenly service, all of our avodas Hashem, there are really two aspects. There's the aspect of ava and yira. That means love and awe. And so, so this is restoring the yira to the ava. See, because if it's just, if I'm just serving God with love from, the, from my own place of love, then, then that can just be love of myself. And so by restoring this idea that even within that realm I'm being commanded, I'm restoring this aspect of yira even within the category of ava. So, so in other words, it can still come from a full heart and it can still be totally natural to me and I can love to do it and, and I'm positively motivated and, and God, you know, you just made me in such a way where this type of service comes naturally and everything like that. All that's good. And maintain the love that's in that service 1,000%. But just factor in that one extra little thought of Yira that I'm also being commanded to do this. It's not just only coming from me. And then you have a fuller service of God. So with this in mind, let's revisit a teaching. Maybe my favorite teaching about Elul that I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishvitzer Rebbe, that, that in Elul, what do we fix in Elul? We're fixing all the things that we do right. So, so that might sound like a little counterintuitive because normally you, you think, well, I got to fix the things I'm doing wrong. But no, the Ishvitzer is saying, no, first begin fixing everything you do right. Meaning to say, as Reb Shlomo phrased it, that thing which I'm already doing, am I doing it with all of my heart? So that's the, that's the, beginning, that's the beginning of the fixing of Elul. 
take what you're already doing, and then just like when you say a blessing, if you, if you say blessings anyway, instead of just motoring through them, just say, am I doing this with all of my heart? And make, sense, and make sure that all the things you're doing anyway, you're already doing them, but you're doing them with full intention, full kavana. And, 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 and part of that, now you can add one more thing, which is that I'm doing it anyway, I'm doing it, but why am I doing it? Not just because I'm a good guy, not just because it comes naturally to me, not just because I'm doing it today because I did it yesterday, but I'm doing it also because I'm commanded to do it. And then that's, that's where you'll really be able to, to harness this power of serving God with all of your hearts. So, so let's go further. It's, I'm going to change the topic a little bit. But, uh, you know, all these things are, are kind of necessary for getting through the day, really, you know. So, <clears throat> last week, uh, we had Parshas Re'e. And Parshas Re'e begins with the, the famous words, that behold, I'm putting before you a blessing and a curse. And it's a... It doesn't just mean today. It really means at every single moment. Today means at every single moment. So, See that I'm putting before you today a blessing and a curse. So that means that every single moment, every single moment. So what's a blessing and what's a curse? So I want to go a little bit further into this because there's, there's this, I don't know, almost like a, like a ping pong match that's, that takes place between us and God on a, on, a, on a moment-to-moment basis, where we cede God total authority and we recognize Him, hopefully in all of our ways at every moment to the extent that we're conscious and capable of doing it. And then He does something amazing. He then puts the ball back in our hands and says, now what are you going to do? And it's a very incomplete service See, th- th- that's why the, 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 the Jewish model is so utterly dynamic. Because it's not, it's, it, it's not really the, the Torah path or, or what we would even call religious just to say, just to constantly pray. You would think, wow, wouldn't that be the ideal mode to be constantly praying? But if one is constantly praying but not also doing, then they're not really capturing what, what our vision of the world is. And so, and so there's this idea of the blessing and the curse and recognizing Hashem in every moment. Now let me, I'm going to develop this more, but let me just pause to, to point something out. 
The first two verses, I'll read them in English, don't need the word today, don't need the word hayom. And they can be totally understood without the word hayom. See, I present before you a blessing and a curse. That makes perfect sense without the word today, right? Now listen to the next phrase. And what's, listen, li, listen to what this phrase says and doesn't say. It's very interesting. The blessing, colon, that if you hearken to the commandments of Hashem your God, that I command you. So that, that's interesting because you would think that it would list all the good things that you're going to get, as it does at different places in, in the Torah. You're going to get rain, your, 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 your livestock will increase, your crops will increase, your wine and everything like that will all increase. Right? But it doesn't say that. It says the blessing is that you're going to listen to God, which is kind of fascinating in itself. In other words, we say that the reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah. And there are many interpretations for that. But one of them is that, you know what your reward is? You got to do the right thing. That in itself is a reward, that you got to do the right thing. And that seems to be implied here, because it doesn't go into any details. Just what's the blessing? That you listen to the command of God. But the last word of that is today. (laughs) So you see, it makes perfect sense without the word today. So what I'd like to suggest on another level is that part of the reward that you're getting, the specific reward that you're getting, is that God will bless you with the here and now, with the presence to live in the moment. You're being blessed, actually, if you really focus in and understand moment to moment that you're at a crossroads. There's a fork in the road at every single moment in your life. You can go in one direction because free choice never goes away. There's a fork in the road at every single moment in your life. And there's a blessing, and then there's the other path at every single moment. And so the blessing is if you become aware of that, you get blessed with today. And again, today really means the moment, the present tense. And this is one of the most sought-after gifts in the world. In fact, it's one of the seats of all the treasures of the world is to be able to live in the moment. Because almost everyone is either living in the past or they're thinking about the future. They're upset about the past, they're worried about the future. This is most people in the world at most times during the day. And the number of people who are actually in possession of what they actually have are very few and far between. Very few and far between. You know, I thought of an example one time because I'm actually, I I do this, uh, I'm trying not to do it anymore, but when I buy a, a, a lottery ticket, I'll buy it and I'll put it in my wallet and I'll never check it. <laughs> I don't know how common that is. But, you know, it's sort of like, it takes a lot of work to check the numbers, you know what I mean? To buy the numbers is fun, you know? It's like, but to check them is sort of a drudgery, especially if you've lost hundreds of times, you know what I mean? It's like, why, why should I even bother? So my, my, my question was this. 
Imagine you have a $50 million winning lottery ticket in your wallet and you don't know it. Are you rich or not? <laughs> right? So that, that's the question. So, so really, you could argue it both ways. And I think the, probably the more literal answer would be you are because you have the winning lottery ticket. So period end, you are. And I hear that. But I would argue the other side of it, actually which is, I think, a little deeper, because if you don't know that you're in possession of this, then you don't have access to it. And if you don't have access to it, then you don't really have it. So then you, you aren't rich. So, so now you can apply this thought to all of life in general. All of us, every single one of us, has so many blessings in our lives. But if we aren't accessing them, and if we aren't conscious of them, if we're not in the moment, then that's the equivalent of having this winning lottery ticket and not even knowing about it. Now, based on this, I thought of like a guided meditation. Okay? Don't do this that often, hardly ever. But I would, I would ask you just to go with me for a moment. Okay? So just, if you, if you will... If everyone just, and I'm going to do it too, just close your eyes. If you're listening to this while you're driving, please don't close your eyes. <laughs> um, but if you just close your eyes for a moment, maybe take a few deep breaths. Now, now it shouldn't happen to any of us. God forbid it a million billion times. But imagine for a moment that a person were in a terrible accident and, um, and they were paralyzed completely, right? And so the person's just lying on their bed and they can't move a muscle. And there are people who are coming and they're visiting loved ones and they're saying prayers by the bedside and they're just reaching out and saying consoling words and everything like this and just really wishing the best. But meanwhile... A person can't even move a single muscle in their entire body. Now imagine, just imagine that you can move your toes. And just wiggle your toes for a moment. It would be just like the greatest miracle in the whole world. It's like you're just moving your toes. Now imagine you're moving your fingertips. Somehow you're able to move your fingertips. So you're moving your toes and you're moving your fingertips. Now imagine you can take a deep breath and you can exhale. Now imagine you can bend your knees, right? Just bend your knees for a moment. And now imagine you can bend your elbows, bend your elbows. And now imagine the greatest miracle, you can open up your eyes, right? Open up your eyes. Now imagine you can stand up just stand up for a moment. Just please, stand up. And you can bend your knees, you can bend your elbows, and you can walk, right? Take a few steps, you can walk. I mean, how, how incredible would this be? This would be the greatest miracle in the entire world. And you have this right now. You have this right now. This is like warehouses full of treasures. 
that all of us have right now. What would you pay to be able to do that if the person were in the other situation and it seemed to be hopeless? What would you pay? You wouldn't have enough money in the entire world to pay for what you have right now. What we all have right now. So with this in mind, let's revisit one of my favorite teachings and look at it from a different standpoint. So I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. What's the difference between simcha and oneg? Joy and bliss, right? Joy is when God gives you something that you didn't have before. Bliss, oneg, is when God shows you what it is that you've had all along. Do you understand that? That's very amazing. When, when, when God puts you in touch with that which you've had all along, then, then it's a healing on so many different levels. Because, because you realize that you never lacked on a very deep level. And remember, remember, Rabbi Shlomo says when Hashem brings Mashiach, we're going to have the eyes to see that the third base Hamikdash was always there. The third holy temple was always there. That we just didn't have the eyes to see it. And I heard Rabbi Aaron say in the name of the Kabbalah that when God finishes the world and finishes fixing the whole world, we're going to see that we never left the Garden of Eden. And I heard from Rabbi Shlomo that there's two kinds of healing in the world. One type of healing where a person recovers from whatever it was that was ailing them. But then he says that there's a Mashiach type of healing. So this is the highest, where a person doesn't even remember that they were sick to begin with. Right? Not only are they fully recovered, but the memory of their own sickness is gone. That's the, that's the highest. That's the highest. All the sadness leading up to the fulfillment of the goal becomes erased. And it's just the, the memory of the goodness. You know, they say, I'm a man, so I, I don't know, but they, they say about women in childbirth that, that, that on some level they don't remember the pain of childbirth. On some level. I'm sure intellectually they do, but, but why would they want to do it again, right? So somehow, somehow they, 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 they don't remember. And, and it's just, oh, I, I, I want that again. So maybe that's a, a mirror somehow of, 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 of one aspect of this. That there, that there is such a thing that where a person can go through, sometimes, God forbid, tremendous pain. And yet somehow that, that becomes completely incidental in terms of how they go forward, in terms of their lives. And so it's this idea that deep down we're in possession of these $50 million lottery tickets. And we have to become aware of that. And that's the blessing of Hayom, of being in the moment. That's why these two psukim, these two verses from the Torah, don't need the word today. Neither of them need the word today in order to make sense. And yet it's talking about the deepest blessing. And so God is giving us this idea of Hayom. Now, I want to break down the word Hayom into two parts. 
And just to show you, just maybe another level to it. Hayom can be broken down into two parts. The word mi, which means who. Or you can reverse those letters and spell the word yam. Yam, hashkafically, philosophically in Torah, yam means the great sea. And so it's a place of mystery because who knows what's contained in the vast sea. That's why it means a place of mystery. But those same letters also spell the word who, which is again a question mark. So philosophically, they're the same idea. In other words, it's just wonderment. It's just wonderment. Then the other part of the word hayom is the letters vav and he. And we've discussed what vav and he mean. In terms of the name of Hashem, you have yud and he and vav and he. Vav and he represent the revealed dimensions of reality. That which we can access or sensorily perceive on some level, on some level. Okay, so in other words, we have vav and he, which means the revealed. And we have this idea of yam or me, who, or the great sea, which is covered over and we can't have access to. And so this is perhaps a key to how to access the moment. Hayom requires an embrace of what's there and a simultaneous embrace of that which we don't know. So in other words, to embrace that which we can understand while simultaneously understanding that we'll never fully understand what's there. And I think that that is a key and a secret within this word Hayom today, right now, the moment, in terms of how to access the treasures of the moment. As Reb Shlomo would say all of the time, what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? He would say it all the time. And it was such a, it was like a, it was like a, a healing potion, those words. It is a healing potion. What do we know? Meaning to say that so many times when we get ourselves wound up in such a, such a fit, it's because I know, and he did that, and I know why he did that. And it's, you know, but what about what do we know? Because the reality is, is that we're never going to know. We're never, we're never going to know. And it's a healing, it's a healing thing to do. You know, when, the, when people say, let it go, and then what's always the answer when you say, let it go? The answer is, I can't let it go. <laughs> So, so why can't you let it go? Because you're so convinced that you know. But what if you don't know? Oh, well, then if I don't know, then maybe I can let it go. <laughs> right? So, so again, again, there's so much bounty. There's so much bounty. But we have to know how to access it. And we access it with these twin engines of consciousness operating in concert with each other on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, which is embracing what's there while at the same time allowing ourselves not to know, which is the truth. You know? I mean, you have to really know that you don't know, though. 
You know what I mean? You can't say, oh, I'm a very humble guy, I don't know. <laughs> you know, really, the truth is, oh, just, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know. But meanwhile, what are you thinking? Of course I know. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm not talking about that level of, I don't know. I'm talking about really saying, hey, as smart as you are, you're not so smart. You know, you don't have to say you're dumb. You're smart. You are smart. But smart only gets you a, a part of the way. And, and, and the, 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 the sad truth is, it doesn't even get you the majority of the way. Because sometimes with real smarts, people end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And they end up rejecting the truth because of some questions about the truth. Okay? There are always going to be questions. And if you're living your life and you're structuring your entire heavenly service around the idea that, you know what? You know when I'll begin to do the mitzvahs? When all my questions get answered. Then I'm going to start. You know what? Good luck to you. I see it at 120 and I don't imagine you're going to be making, having made much progress between now and then. Because the questions will never stop. And that's because our intellect is only going to get us part of the way and not even the majority of the way. You know? So, so, so why is this? Why is this? Why is this? So let's go a little bit deeper. You see, there's something that a person always has to remember. You know, I'll, I'll put it in a kind, of a kind of a macro way. You know, we talk about uh, the four worlds, Kabbalistically speaking, and that doesn't mean four separate worlds. We're just talking about one unified, coherent universe. But there are different sort of like uh, stratas of um, spirituality. And the top most part of the world, it's called a tzilus. This would be the, the, the most spiritual. And then you go down incrementally till we get to this dimension, which is called olamasia, the world of action, which is the most material. But it's one continuum. And of course, physicality is nothing other than condensed spirituality. Right? So we have one continual flow from the topmost strata, or the top world, if you will, down to this world. But as the Rebbe's point out, and this is crucial to understanding reality, God is no less present in this realm than he is in the topmost realm. And you know, I was kind of meditating on this over Shabbos. When I say meditating, I mean that I thought about it for about 15 seconds. (laughs) 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 I imagine I could have conveyed a very different picture. (laughs) So I I certainly don't want to mislead you. I don't don't think my bones are capable of sitting Indian style anymore, you know. Unfortunately. But uh, anyway, I was just thinking about this word, Aretz. You know, we talk about Shemayim va'aretz. Shemayim, of course, means heaven. Aretz means the earth. So, so, you know, and it's interesting, too, because they're really one unit. 
heaven and earth are really one unit. As we say, it's just one continuum. So I thought it was interesting that actually, just a couple of brief thoughts, that if you take the, the first letter of each, it spells out Esh, which means fire. And Shemayim, actually, if you remove the first letter, the Shin, right, after you spelled Esh, what do you get? You get Mayim. So, you, so you've got the fusion of fire and water here. And of course, of course, you've got the word Eretz itself means earth. It's the fusion of fire, water, you know, you've got, you make earth, you've got all the elements in there, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I was really struck, you know, we've talked many times about the letter Aleph. The letter Aleph is really, in, in, in many ways, really stands for God. It's the first letter of the Aleph Bays. And of course, we know that the letter Aleph is actually composed of three parts, two Yuds and above, which add up to 26, which is the numerical equivalent of God's holiest name. So, so on many levels, the letter Aleph really stands for God. Um, isn't it interesting that the word Aretz, which means earth, would begin with the letter Aleph? Like Rabbi Wolfson was saying that the first letter of a word is really the headquarters of that word. Every letter is important in a word. But the essence of the word is expressed in the first letter of a word. So isn't it interesting that the word earth which really seems to be the opposite of the spiritual realm, would begin with the letter Aleph at all. I think that that's very remarkable, actually. And then, the, if you rearrange the letters of the word Eretz, it spells Ratz, which means to run. Reish Tzadi Aleph spells Ratz, which means to run. So in other words, what's the whole point of this world? To run to the Aleph, right? To run to God. That's what God, but you want to hear something even wilder? You can also run away from God. (laughs) That's this world. You have the Aleph, because God is, what did we just say? God is equally present in this realm as he is in the highest realm. God is equally present in Olamasiya, the world of action, this dimension that we exist in, as he is in the uppermost realms, in the Olamatsilus. And that's hinted at by the fact that the word Aretz, earth, begins with the letter Aleph. He's equally present here. But it's so covered over. And again, one of my favorite teachings, you know, just because it, it just explains like, just like libraries full of thought is just expressed in this one simple teaching. The word for world, meaning aretz, meaning this physical realm that we exist in, the word for world is olam. Now the root of that is ayin, lamed, mem, elam, which means hidden, because God is hidden in this world. I mean, how much is contained in that, in that one teaching? That the word world itself means God is hidden in this world. So Aretz, which is another way of saying world, another way of saying earth, means Aleph, because God is equally present here, even though he's covered over and hidden, and the word run. Run toward him, but of course, the whole dynamic of this world was structured in such a way that we have free choice. You can run away. Either way. Either way. 
But when you really understand how omnipresent God is, the idea of running away from him becomes progressively more silly. You know? Because where are you running? (laughs) You know? It's like you've got... Well, anyway, you get the idea. So, (laughs) so... So now let's just revisit this and we'll we'll wrap it up. So God says, Behold, I'm putting before you, Hayom, right now, a blessing and a curse. Meaning to say at every single moment, right, we have this blessing of Hayom, of the moment, to access the treasures of every single moment. And how do we do that? We broke up the word Hayom into Mi or Yam, which is the mysterious and Vav and He, which is the revealed. By, by simultaneously tapping into that which was revealed, while at the same time allowing ourselves to deeply not know. And then we're in the moment. Because part of not knowing and helping us stay in the moment is the truth that we don't know what's going to happen next. See, see one of the reasons why psychologically we dismiss the moment is because we think nothing eventful is happening at this moment. So we just go, okay, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. Oh, that's something new that I have to concentrate on. That requires my attention. Now, by the way, neurologists, I read about this study. Neurologists did this study that we, many of us have experienced this in our own life, which is that at certain key moments in our life, time goes more slowly. And that's usually when we're experiencing something either fantastic and new or something horrendous. Like, for instance, imagine you're in, like, a museum and you accidentally swat over a Ming vase and you're watching it fall and hit the ground. Time is probably going very slowly at that moment, right? Because the brain needs to process all of this new stuff. So it's going much more, it's working overtime, you know? They've got certain film uh, methods where they use more frames per second and the actual experience of watching the film actually becomes richer. So, so to speak, the mind gives you more frames per second and it slows down. But that's because it's a brand new event. That which we become, you know, there's an expression in English, familiarity breeds contempt which means once I feel as though I know this, or, and, and by the way, this is the poison and in, 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 in the death of so many relationships and friendships and things like that, when you encounter someone and you decide that you already know them. You know, when I got married, Reb Shlomo blessed me and my wife that we should always surprise each other, right? Because there's that sense of the, the importance of not knowing what the person is going to do next. And, and by the way, when, when Adam and Chava brought death into the world, how did they bring death into the world? From eating from the tree of knowledge. So sometimes when you think you know, that brings death into a relationship. You know, I, I, I've told you this before, but I, it was kind of a traumatic experience for me. So it just connected in my mind. So I just related to you again. I was with a couple that was... 
I, I was younger and they were older and they were fighting like cats and dogs the whole time I was with them. It was just the three of us and I hardly knew them as the truth. It was really an exceedingly uncomfortable experience. And uh, at one point I was in the car with the, with the woman and the man was walking toward the car. And she said to me, look, he's going to touch his nose. He's going to touch his nose. Look, he's going to touch his nose. And he didn't touch his nose. You know? But she knew him so well. She knew him so well. And it, 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 it you know, I'm, I'm sure there were many things wrong with that relationship, but there was so much hatred. And part of it was just this, she knew him so well. And, and to me, the comedy of it was that he didn't touch his nose, you know? But he might as well have, because he certainly earned all the hatred for having touched his nose, you know? So, I mean... So, so if, we have to really guard against that in, in, our, in our own relationships. And, and, and oftentimes, the, the, the fault, and I would say oftentimes, maybe 100% of the time perhaps, the fault is with us, not with the other person. Because we have somehow cobbled together in our own minds this, this aspect of arrogance that we know so much, you know, and that's really the root of the problem in terms of the other person, you know? Not that the other person is, is, is doing the same thing all, all the time. But, you know, we, we have decided that we know so much, you know? Um, but, but getting back to this idea of hayom, that, that, that part of this idea of the me or the yam, of the not knowing, is not knowing what's going to come next. And that's a very liberating thing because if I don't know what's coming next, then I'm holding on to this moment and I'm savoring this moment much more. Like for instance, imagine you're walking across a, um, uh, like one of those, uh, those rope bridges, right? You know, and then, but you know that there, it's missing certain wood slats. And if you just kind of, just kind of walk merrily along looking ahead, you could at some point just fall off the bridge. You know, whoa, there's no slat there. So you know what you're doing then? Each step that you're taking, you're actually going very carefully because you don't know what the next thing is, right? So that's like life also. It's sort of like if I'm going through life and I really am aware of the fact that I don't know what's going to happen the next moment, which is the honest truth, then all of a sudden I'm paying attention to this moment, Right? So that's, that's another way of accessing the moment. Um, and understanding that at each moment, we have free choice. We can go toward the blessing or toward the curse. Now, the reason why that's so empowering is because that means that I don't have to be on automatic pilot constantly. If I realize every single moment, a real choice is being put in front of me, then I have to consciously make that choice which means I'm consciously engaging in the moment. Because I'm saying, okay, what's the blessing right now? What's the curse right now? It's not always going to be obvious. In fact, most of the time, it won't be obvious. Like if you're standing in line at the supermarket, that's, most people are just going to turn their brains off at that moment. Or you can survey, okay, at every single moment there's a blessing, there's a curse, so what's the blessing right now? 
right? Oh, that person looks sad. I can smile in their direction, right? Oh, I can maybe, you know, arrange my groceries on the conveyor belt in a way that will be easier for, you know, if I've got five items, why don't I lump them together so they can just tick them off instead of scattering them throughout my entire order. I mean, I'm just talking about little things like that. I'll tell you something that uh, we have uh, some help that, that, uh, at our house, um, and she's really an, an awesome person. She did something yesterday that I just blew me away. A very kind, very conscious, very high person. And um, someone dropped by. They were just kind of walking, you know, on a walk, and they were walking by the house. So they knocked on the door. They were walking their dog, and they have a little baby who's just really just a, a, a few weeks old, you know. And so there's the baby in the carriage, and, and everyone's cooing and fussing over the baby, and rightly so, because the, the baby's, you know, wonderful. And then I turn around, and I see, and it was hot out, that she's brought a bowl of water for the dog. And I got to tell you, not only wouldn't I have done that, it wouldn't have occurred to me to do such a thing. And the dog lapped it up in two seconds. The dog was thirsty. Never would have, and she, of course, paid it to, it's not like, oh, she's like a crazy animal person. She wasn't even looking at this cute baby. No, she cooed and appreciated the baby and loved the baby and everything like that. But she also said, oh, there's another moment here. The moment is, here's an animal who needs something. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so it's finding those opportunities. Okay, have a good week.